Green Team Academy podcast, episode 65. In this episode, you're going to be hearing about People and Pollinators Action Network and our tour to the University of Denver's Community Garden. Hey, are you ready to make a positive impact for the planet? If so, then you're in the right place. My name is Joan Gregerson, and I am an eco-nut. Thanks for joining me today, and don't forget to head over to the greenteamacademy.com website to pick up plenty of other resources to help you on your way. And with that, let's get started. Hey guys, it's Joan here. Thanks so much for hanging out with me today. Um, Today I get to talk about something near and dear to my heart, which is pollinators. I actually tried to do an interview with Joyce Kennedy of People and Pollinators Action Network and my technology completely failed. And so I thought, let me just get you this information right now and hopefully we can can catch up with her and maybe some others about this whole situation later. Um, But yeah, what I wanted to tell you about today was People and Pollinators Action Network, as well as some things that we learned. uh, Our Green Team Accelerator Lab did a tour at the University of Denver and we got to meet the um, Pollinator Club there, which is called Pioneers for Pollinators as well as assistant professor Julie Morris uh, gave us an introduction to what are pollinators, some of the issues, and we went out into their community garden there. And I also actually used to work at People and Pollinators Action Network. So it's, as I said, really near and dear to my heart to share this information with you. If you're somebody out there that's wondering what can you do in your community, thinking about pollinators and taking action is a really wonderful place to start. Okay, so um, I in the show notes, I'll have this, this profile that I've um, created here on People and Pollinators Action Network. I'll include some other links there too. Okay, so People and Pollinators Action Network is a group that is a Colorado-based nonprofit to protect pollinator and human health at the state, local, and grassroots level, started in 2014 by a group of local community leaders and beekeepers. And before we get too far, let's just clarify what are pollinators. So pollinators can be bees, birds, bats, butterflies, moths, flies, beetles, ants, wasps, and a few small animals. So this is any of the animals that spread pollen from one plant to the next, pollinators. And in doing so, uh, they're helping sustain our ecosystems by helping plants reproduce. Or as Julie Morris um, said at the University of Denver in our talk, the, these animals are helping plants have sex. They're helping them reproduce. So um, that is what pollinators are doing, is, is moving that pollen from one plant to the next to help them because you know plants are rooted in place. They, they need a way to transfer pollen. And by helping these flowering plants reproduce, pollinators are so valuable. Did you ever see the picture of humans? They had people up with little like paintbrushes moving 
um, gathering the pollen from one tree and then going up on a ladder and putting it on the other. And that really gives you the sense of this, this invisible, all nearly invisible workforce that is out there um, keeping the world's ecosystems functioning. So there's an estimate that pollination brings us one in every three bites of our food. Um, it's helping produce fruits, vegetables, nuts, preventing soil erosion by these plants being able to be out there and um, growing um, and reproducing and increasing carbon sequestration and supporting other wildlife. So it's really the foundation. So why, what is the big issue? Well, the big issue is that these species are at risk and this can undermine the whole infrastructure that our world depends on. And here's a few different studies. So in 2019, a report in biological conservation um, said over 40% of insect species are now threatened with extinction. Like that's insane. Over 40% of insect species are now threatened with extinction. 27 year study published in 2016 found over 75% decline in insect biomass sites in Germany. So in less than 30 years, the, the, the mass of, of insects in that area declined by 75%. And it's expected that that is pretty similar worldwide. Another report, 2019, by the UN, it's called the IPBES, the Biodiversity Group, found that one million species are currently threatened with extinction. And a new report that just came out um, in um, Science found that three billion birds have been lost in the US and Canada since 1970. Three billion birds since I was a 10-year-old have been lost in the US and Canada. So this is a huge issue. So what is causing pollinator loss? There, there are a complex array of pressures, but there are things that we know about. Um, some people think it's just pesticides or it's just habitat loss, but it's, it's all this combination. A big one is monocultures. So if you think about if you were a butterfly or a bee, would you rather live in a, you know, one huge agricultural area that just has one crop? Or would you rather be on, or, or another choice would be a lawn? Or would you rather be in a more natural environment that has lots of different flowering plants that are flowering all different times of the year? So monoculture, and that could be an urban lawn or agricultural with a single crop. Um, habitat loss due to human habitation or agriculture. So you saw that the numbers of pollinators have drastically declined, but since I was a kid, the population, human population has doubled. And so this increase in humans and agriculture is taking away that natural habitat. Um, misapplication and overuse of pesticides and herbicides and um, also climate change creating mismatches between the times the, that plants are flowering and when the pollinators need them. So 
what what can individuals do? And this this is why this is such a great thing. If you're thinking about doing something in your community, starting with pollinators is such a, a good place to start because everybody can make a difference by planting more native um, species, more flowering species, and by not spraying. Um, and as Joyce Kennedy, who's the Outreach and Advocacy Coordinator with PPAN, People and Pollinators Action Network, says, if you plant it, they will come. You'll witness the transformation, and it's one of the biggest things that people can do easily. So if you think about it, you know, the other things that you might be being encouraged to do, like putting solar on your house, I mean, those are big things which you still can do. But if you take a piece of land, especially if it's out in your front yard, and change that from a, a lawn to a, more of a garden, then within months or weeks, you're going to be able to see different different animals coming to your garden. And if you're, if you're out front there and neighbors are stopping by, then you can have conversations and you can really make a big change. I know where I grew up, it was mostly big, huge lawns. This is in Denver, which is basically a mountain desert. So lawns are ridiculous. Um, but, you know, if one person on the block changes their landscape and then is invites other people to come in and, and talk about it, and if another person does it, and if those two get another one, pretty soon you can really make that, that difference. And um, so some of the simple steps that you can do is plant flowers that bloom in your yard throughout the growing season. So a lot of the showier flowers will bloom in the middle of summer. So make sure that you're asking about when you're choosing your, your plants, some that are blooming early spring as well as into late fall. Um, eliminate the use of herbicides, pesticides, and synthetic fertilizers. Um, you know, I did a great interview, heard from the, the great community garden of St. Ignatius Loyola. That was another podcast episode um, of their garden. And they talked about, um, Paul Gibson there is a master gardener, and he talked about all the things that they do to grow things organically and sustainably. So if you don't know how to grow things without herbicides, pesticides, and synthetic fertilizers, there are people out there that can help you. Master gardeners, your extension office, um, some of the um, nurseries that, that are into that kind of thing. So there's definitely resources out there. Um, replace turf with a variety of native plants. Talk to your neighbor, schools, businesses, city, parks, and councils about better policies. Start a pollinator safe community, which we'll talk about more in a minute, and help pass a pollinator resolution in your city. So this idea, once you've done it or you have some experience or maybe you're in an apartment, you can't do it yourself, then you can go to your city department and say, hey, what are you guys doing about pesticides and herbicides and how are you caring for pollinators? And remember our cities, our schools, they're working for us, they're ours. So if we don't take the time to express what we know about the science, what we care about, then they're not necessarily going to do it. So it's our responsibility to take that extra step. And 
you know, as Joyce was saying here, like education is key. When people start focusing on the benefits of soil health, they can get off the treadmill of applying pesticides and fertilizers. There's also a need to raise awareness about the value of insects. Instead of thinking of them as pests, the majority of insects are actually beneficial. They are working to protect our ecosystems. Everything is connected. Okay. So one of the things you can do is start a pollinator safe community. So what this means is you start by designating a community leader, you set goals, you collect pledges, use signage and provide fun events to educate and celebrate progress. You can check out PPANS, creating a pollinator safe community by clicking on that there. Okay, so now I want to tell you a little bit about what all PPAN is doing. And as I said, it's a Colorado-based organization. But, you know, if you don't have one in your area, maybe you should start one. And if you're... Uh, so here are some of the highlights of what PPAN has been doing. So they really focus on pollinator education and outreach. They've helped pass pollinator resolutions in the cities of Boulder, Lafayette, and Denver, as well as Boulder County. There are groups in Denver and Longmont, and if you want to start one, then definitely reach out to them. Uh, they're a co-sponsor of the annual Colorado Pollinator Summit. This is a really cool thing to start in your area or participate in the Colorado one. Every year, hundreds of people get together and they share their research and all their different expertise and help identify issues and um, collaborate on solutions. They have also passed um, the Colorado Pollinator Highway Resolution. And, you know, what, what people have found kind of again and again is that if you, if you lead with the issue of pesticides, then it's a very volatile discussion and you tend to not get very far. So what you can do instead is is promote uh, pollinator-friendly planting or, or resolution. And so that's what they did with the Colorado Pollinator Highway Resolution and um, also were a co-sponsor of the first pilot planting and they're continuing to work with the Colorado Department of Transportation. Um, another thing that they found in doing this work and working with the state of Colorado is that the Department of Natural Resources uh, well, there was really nobody in the state that had a policy to protect pollinators. And so by identifying that gap, they were able to work with the Colorado Department of Natural Resources to write a pollinator policy. Um, they're working in a couple different cities in Longmont and Inglewood to um, pilot um, organic pollinator friendly landscaping. They manage the Pollinator Safe Communities Project. They recently launched a Colorado-based environmental health coalition to identify and investigate toxins in the environment. And they partner with groups like the University of Denver's Pioneer for Pollinators Club. So I want to say a little bit more about that. So on um, September 19th, we did this tour with the DU um, Pollinator Club, as well as with Julie Morris, who's an assistant professor there who gave us a lot of information, um, like that idea that what pollinators are doing is helping plants have sex, helping them reproduce. When we moved from that space of first being in the classroom and then moved out into the garden, I feel like everyone just became more playful. 
There were so many cool things about this. One is that we heard from from some of the students there that had helped, they'd partnered with PPAN, and students that were part of that pollinator club went to the Denver City Council and advocated for the passage of that pollinator resolution. So remember that if you're trying to make a change and it's not happening, it probably boils down to the fact that you don't have enough partners. You haven't found the people out there to which you are the solution for their problem. So if you think about this, this pollinator club at a university, uh, what are their activities going to be? If you are someone who wants to pass a pollinator resolution for your city, for your local school district, um, for your faith community, whatever, if you can reach out to other groups, give them an opportunity to become civic leaders, then it's a win-win all around. So um, we got to hear from the students who were part of that group. Julie Morris, the assistant professor there, was telling us that they do something called a bio blitz every year. And what a bio blitz is, it sounds like it might be very difficult because what you want to do is identify the biodiversity in an area in a short amount of time. And but the cool thing is that, you know, there's an app for that. So the app is called iNaturalist. And so people go out with their phone with this app and take pictures of everything that they see. And so you don't need to be able to identify what all the different plants and animals are because that's what the iNaturalist app does. It uses the location that you're in and then real naturalists who, who already know what types of things you might be finding in that area and then they're able to help you identify um, the, you know, so like if you took a picture of this and you didn't know what this butterfly is or these flowers, these plants, then somebody through iNaturalist would be able to do that. So the cool thing when they did this is that they found that they're able to use this information to show that the biodiversity in the community garden and immediately surrounding was so much higher than the traditional landscaping of the university, which is massive lawns with a few trees. So why is that important? That's important because the, the mission of the university includes experiential learning with biodiversity and sustainability. So instead of having a conversation, which they're also having this other conversation about trying to get the university to move away from lawns and pesticides. But instead of leading with that, they can lead with, hey, you know, if we convert lawns to, to gardens, we're able to further your mission of biodiversity, experiential learning, and sustainability. And so by doing that, and also by using less water and providing volunteers to help uh, maintain it. By doing that, they've now been given another parcel of land that they can also con convert into another garden. And so that's the message that keeps coming up again and again is if you're worried about pesticides, then first bring in human health and um, biodiversity and pollinator health and these other issues is just a much more palatable way and more effective way to get to that um, result that you want.
Okay. All right. So yeah, that was just such a fun day to be out there. And we were looking and um, what we're trying to get at when you when you read these reports from um, from the UN that says and other organizations out there that say, you know, we need a massive transformation of how we grow food, how we distribute food, our economies, all these things is massive paradigm shift um, that we need a value shift. And it can seem overwhelming. So the really cool thing about starting with pollinators is you're asking people to plant flowers, right? That's not the, the hardest thing in the world to do. So, and by doing that, they're going to experience these, these deeper things that we want people to understand and that you can understand too, is the importance of ecology and the interconnectedness of ecosystems and the, the risks of using pesticides and herbicides and the risks of habitat loss and monoculture and, and climate change. So um, I'm so thankful for you tuning in today, uh, for taking time to think about pollinators. Definitely reach out and we'd love to hear how it's going in your community. And a big thanks to Joyce Kennedy from People and Pollinators Action Network and Julie Morris and the Pioneers for Pollinators Club at the University of Denver for helping me pull all this information together. And remember, everybody, the time for action is now because there is no planet B. See you soon. Well, that's it for another episode of the Green Team Academy podcast. Remember to check out all the resources to help you make a positive eco impact in your community at greenteamacademy.com. Thanks so much and see you right back here soon.